Welcome to Restaurant Unstoppable. This is episode 245. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, you've heard our guest mentor say you need a solid business plan. That can be intimidating. Maybe you don't know the first thing about creating a business plan. Remember, plan your work, work your plan, and do it with live plan. To learn more and to get started with your first month free, yes, I said free, that's a $20 savings exclusive to Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. Visit liveplan.com slash unstoppable, that is liveplan.com forward slash unstoppable, get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Kim Bartman, Chef Kim, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. I'm feeling so unstoppable, (laughs) except uh, some people might want to stop you and say, hey, she's not a chef. She's a (laughs) restaurateur. Oh, sorry. Uh, My bad. (laughs) Uh, You just do so much. some (laughs) Some chefs get mad about that. You know what? You are right. And I apologize. Uh, restaurateur Kim Bartman uh, comes from a punk rock culture and supported herself through college by working in kitchens. Bartman moved to Minneapolis in 1983 and would go on to open Cafe Weird. Uh, today, she currently operates eight restaurants or seven going on eight restaurants, which include Pat's Tap, uh, Bryant Lake Bowl, Bread and Pickle, Tiny Diner, The Third Bird, Red Stag Supper Club in Trapeze, which is soon to open. Uh, Kim and her restaurants have taken on countless accolades, two of which include James Beard semifinalist for Outstanding Restaurant Tour in both 2013 and 2015. In addition, uh, you recently took on a role with the Women's Chef in Restaurant Tours, which exists to promote awareness around women uh, in chefhood. So this is just a huge aerial view of who you are and what you have accomplished. I can't wait to collect your advice and wisdom. But before we dive into it, Kim, I just love to get these interviews started with a motivational quote or mantra. So what do you have for us today? Well, you know, I, when I first thought you'd ask me that question, I, I'm like, I'm not really a quote kind of person, but then <laughs> I have a quote that I've used in my email signature line for probably the last decade. Okay. And uh, that is a Japanese sort of proverb that is simply fall seven times, stand up eight. Fall seven times, stand up eight. I love it. And really dive into that proverb and how it resonates with you, how it echoes internally with you. Uh, Well, you know, um, I guess I would if I had to sort of identify uh, with a particular form of spirituality, it would be uh, Zen Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And uh, sort of in that tradition, I think we know that um, life happens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be referred to as shit happens. (laughs) You know, Um, it's going to happen. Nobody has a a rosy, easy path. And, and, you know, it, it happens. You, you you let it happen and then you stand up and you keep going. Yeah. Um, I I also had a form of spirituality when I was younger called rugby. Okay. Uh, you know, and in, and in rugby, you know, the ball moves all over the place, back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, when you lose the ball in rugby, you just you just keep going and you try to get it back. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't stop the play and, you know, reform, reconsider and stand around and adjust to your socks. You just keep going, you know. Mm-hmm. So so to me, uh, that has translated into, you know, my jobs over the years, which have mostly been uh, in restaurants. Yeah, and when I listen to that quote that you share with us, that fall seven times, get up eight, I feel like so often we look to those in any industry, really, and think about how you know, those who are successful and look at how 
good they must have or how lucky they are. And, oh, like it must have came so easily. Like they woke up one day and boom, success. But no, they fell so many times. And it's just because they were keep on, they kept getting up and kept on improving and learning from their mistakes. And it wasn't until that eighth time that they fell or that the seventh time that they fell, that eighth time they got back up, that they really figured it all out and they had success with something. Um, and I, I don't that know, like, absolutely right, Eric. Yeah, failure is a great teacher. In that first restaurant that you opened, Cafe Weird, it's no longer around. So that's just one of those examples of that one of those seven times you fell. But look what you got going on now. It's amazing. Um, so don't give up after that first failure. Get get back up. Take what you learned and just keep pushing forward. You're an amazing example of that. That's right. Uh, so let's. Uh, what's up, Eric? Eric, I have to tell you that uh, I actually killed Cafe Weird myself. It was very successful, and I decided ten years of it was enough, and I closed it down and I turned it into a brasserie called Barbette. Oh, thank you for correcting me, but uh, it means you, I'm sure you learned so many times that maybe that wasn't right for that restaurant wasn't right for you. Maybe that's one of the lessons you learned. Maybe that's a failure that we yeah, can discuss it, later it was on. Just, Yep, it had its day, and it was time for something new. Okay, well, thank you for straightening that out for me. I appreciate it, Kim. Uh, so let's talk about your early path, um, how you broke into this industry, uh, and the, the path you took. Let's like shine a light on that path for somebody listening who maybe wants to follow the same path you took. So how did you break in, and how did you kind of give us some snapshots of how you got to where you are today? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure anyone's going to be able to follow this path, but I'll try to, you know, figure out something at, at, at some point at which they can, but um, <laughs> when, I, when I first moved to Minneapolis, uh, I, was going, I was going to the University of Minnesota, uh, I was doing some work study, you know, at school, I had some grants and loans and, you know, the usual mix, and I just, I figured out pretty quickly that living in this bigger city, I was going to need to get a job, and a friend of mine... <laughs> Uh, worked at a local restaurant, and she said, look, go to this vegetarian restaurant, pretend you're a vegetarian, and they'll hire you because they really need a cook. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I went there, you know, I nodded my head, and they gave me a job, and, you know, uh, I was a hard-working Wisconsin girl. I did what I was told, and I learned very quickly, and, you know, they would say, go downstairs and get some garbanzo beans and some tamari. And I would be thinking to myself, wow, I hope there's a label on that because I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know? Uh, and uh, that was one of the two jobs I've ever been fired from. Uh, I was fired from that job for burning my hand and not being able to finish my shift. Um, I was the first person to ever get tipped by the wait staff as a line cook in that place, but still I lost my job because I burned my hand. Um, uh, and that was the beginning of my enlightenment on how difficult it is to work in restaurants and uh, usually uh, how poorly people were treated, uh, especially back then. And then, you know, from there... I had learned how to cook in that restaurant, so I had a series of line cook jobs um, over, you know, several years. Then uh, I was fired from my second job um, for going to the funeral of that person who had encouraged me to go and get that vegetarian cook job. And uh, I, I couldn't think of any, anything worse than getting fired for having to go to your best friend's funeral. So I vowed I would never work in a restaurant again um, because of the way you know, I had been treated. So then I worked at the university for a while. Um, I worked in some offices. I worked as a parking lot attendant. I still say that my favorite job ever was parking lot attendant because mm -hmm. I could read and talk to my friends and, you know, get all my homework done and stuff. Uh, and then, you know, some years went by and a friend of mine who was a line cook kept saying, coffee shop, coffee shop, coffee shop. We should open a coffee shop. And I was like, no way. We are not opening a coffee shop. And then one day I was uh, driving to meet her for brunch, and I passed by this empty space that had been uh, a comic book and, and record store. And I thought, wow, that'd be a cool place for a coffee shop. And I, I said that to her at brunch, and then three months later we were opening a coffee shop. 
<laughs> which was so, Cafe so, Weird. Which was Cafe Weird. And, you know, I uh, maxed out my single mother's credit card, $5,000, and she borrowed $5,000 from her father. And uh, we opened a restaurant for $10,000. Wow. Try but I guess, you know, my way in was was just totally no no thought of what were the risks. And, you know, we were able to do it very bootstrapping for very little money. I suppose uh, today it would be the equivalent of, you know, doing a food truck or something. Mm-hmm. So let's let's dive into that that topic of just kind of starting this business and uh, diving all in and bootstrapping and taking on the world. I mean, I'm sure so many people listening to this episode right now are thinking to themselves, like, that's how I feel, like starting this huge, audacious, like, you know, starting a business, like they get started and it's almost overwhelming. So was that what it felt like for you? Like, how how did you get through those initial days when you were just getting started and just having to, like, drink from the fire hose and learn all this stuff about being a business owner? You know, I I think that what a lot of entrepreneurs have in common is they don't think first. Mm. They just do. (laughs) And, and, you know, so when they're talking about how they got started or, you know, any of those kinds of things, it it sounds so ridiculous and you're still left sitting there going like, well, sure, yeah, just do it. That sounds ridiculous, you know. But um, honestly... uh, we were like, well, okay, we got an espresso machine and we're going to get some bakery delivered here every day and, you know, let's see what happens. And, you know, oh, we have to pay bills. Well, I guess I'm going to have to make some time to make sure that I pay my bills every week. And, like, uh, you know, the first time I it ever really dawned on me that I should be paying attention to uh the finances of the business as a whole, other than me paying the payments on my mom's credit card, which, you know, I would have done anything to do, which included, which included working 18 hours a day and, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. when, uh, we had a leak in the business above us and the water ran down and, you know, got in my coffee bins and damaged a bunch of stuff. And we had to close for a day, right? So the insurance adjuster came in and he was like, well, you know, how much a pound do you pay for that coffee? And how much does that coffee to go coffee cup cost? And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. How much do you make on that muffin? And so I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, wow, I don't, I don't know anything about my business. What am I doing all day, you know? Wow. So, uh, you know, thus started my hard and fast and ongoing uh, financial education mm-hmm. in terms of uh, business. Yeah, and I mean, listening to you talk, I am thinking of a, a a saying that I hear often, which is ready, fire, aim, <laughs> which is a little backwards yeah. from, you know, ready, aim fire but sometimes when you just got to start right and you start just you just start being receptive to you try something did it work what was different you're constantly uh i've heard that running a restaurant i can't remember who said it said i think it was uh the name will come to me but running a restaurant's like trying to fix a plane that's in flight right it's crazy like you have a million parts moving and you still got to fix it but it's just what you do like it sounds like you you were you were learning and every day you just try to learn something new and become a better version of yourself than you were the day before is that safe to say you absolutely need to do that so yeah so what's different like what did you start doing differently from that first location to now uh, about to open your eighth location like what are some of the biggest changes you've created for yourself and your businesses to allow that to happen That's a huge question. I mean, you know, there were some, I I think there's some plateaus along the way, you know, going from one to two. Let's start. I learned, I learned a lot about, I learned a lot about just, you know, letting go and letting other people, Mm. uh, do the things in my business that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I didn't, 
I was not a bartender, you know. Uh, I didn't work front of house ever. I just was a barista, really, mm-hmm. and a line cook. So, you know, um, I really learned a lot about how to have a, you know, to maintain a cohesive team of people without always having to be in the room. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, along those lines, going from two to three really made that extreme. That that was a really extreme jump. It was like literally from 2D to 3D, like, whoa, (laughs) this is a mind-bending experience, and it's a lot of things to sort of hold. So what what was Uh, the biggest thing you you did from that? To go from three to eight, that was another Let's talk about that two to three, Kim, because I feel like, you know, that it can be so overwhelming. There's so many things going on at one time. Like, what was one thing you went or you did from that two to three that helped you control it all and keep it organized and uh, everything going in the direction it was supposed to go? Mm-hmm. Well, at one point, I admitted that I needed to hire um, an operations director. Mm. You know, I, I needed to have other management in place that wasn't just me. Or, you know, like when I ran the coffee shop, we literally had a meeting once a month, and, you know, one person ordered the coffee, and one person did the schedule, mm-hmm. and another person did another thing. And then, uh, we did profit sharing depending on how many hours people worked. So, and and that was a very so I was with the one business I was still running it. You know, I I mean obviously I was the owner, I had authority, but I was kind of an anti-authoritarian. You know, as you said in the <laughs> beginning, so I was trying to conduct a a business like you know like a collaborative effort or whatever and in a lot of ways it can be in a collaborative effort but what i've learned over the years of course is that it's it's really not fair to to have authority without also making it really clear like what people's jobs are mm. and and holding them accountable for those jobs because if you say someone is supposed to be doing something and then they're not really doing it but then you're not really telling them what they're supposed to be doing or that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Everyone is living in some kind of amorphous quagmire and everyone is miserable. No one is happy. No one feels like they're excelling. Yeah. And I'm so happy, Kim, you're going here because sometimes I'll talk to friends, people start looking to open restaurants and we'll be talking. I'm like, you really need to like sit down and like, you know, put together a hierarchy or at least, uh, you know, designate responsibilities to certain roles and then create those systems and processes, procedures. So your people know exactly, you know, what it is that they have to do so they can do their job. So you can paint that picture of perfection. And the, the biggest thing I hear when I, when I have this discussion with people, they're like, Oh, I hate the idea of a corporation. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's tough. I mean, so what do you, what are your thoughts or what's your advice for that person that like you was anti-authoritative, but needed some kind of structure. Like what's your advice for that person? You you can't deny humans need structure. Mm. You just can't deny it. Now, do humans need gross corporate, you know, restrictive structure? No. I mean, make a structure that works for you, that expresses what you want your business to be. What What is your value system? You know, uh, I don't know anyone who's ever opened a business who didn't ever work. You know, Mm -hmm. even if you were going to open a business completely unrelated to your work history, you can sit and think about what, what, what are the good work experiences you've had? What are the bad work experiences you had? You know, how do you replicate that in your business? You know, the things that were good and, and leave behind the things that were bad without, you know, without you know, not being able to function. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, not everything everybody does every day is like super fun and magical, <laughs> but uh, you can have a lot more fun uh, at work if you know what it is you're supposed to be doing every day. Yeah. And uh, one thing um, 
I love about you, is, and it's it's something that I kind of just picked up on, like just reading and going through articles. It's like an underlying thing that you have a lot of uh, purpose. You have a lot of uh, vision, and you, you do things intentionally and for a greater cause. So let me ask on that, what is your purpose? What is your greater personal why, and how does that echo through your restaurants? Yeah, what is that? Um, you know, I'm sure it sounds kind of trite, but, you know, I love food and I love people. I love art. You know, I love, uh, I'm very curious about the ways that people, you know, gather and, and what makes people feel good. Uh, you know, and, and how to create sort of places and experiences uh, that, you know, bring people together, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, on the other hand, I can say that I have joked with a restaurateur friend of mine about how, like, we spend our entire day thinking about how to make people happy and then sometimes at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, God, I hate people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But, I mean, you know, I guess just, I, like, also like a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm kind of an ADD person, you mm-hmm. know? And what drives me is is uh, what needs to be done, you know? And sometimes what needs to be done are small things like, you know, somebody's got to fill the sugars. That would be my classic example of like, oh, in the beginning at Cafe Weird, we would argue about who would fill the sugars, the day people or the night people. Like, how ridiculous does that sound? You know, now when I have a number of businesses and, you know, mm-hmm. people, you know, I argue about like, well, do you want to go do this or do you, you know, whatever. I don't even want to say the things that we might argue about, but, uh, and sometimes the things that need to be done are big things. Like we need to eliminate plastic water bottles. How are we going to do that? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm I'm curious uh, because earlier you had mentioned Kim that you, uh, made the decision to, uh, incorporate an ops manager into your business. And I'm curious, what were the things that that ops manager did for your business? What are some of the examples of the structure that that provided for your business? Well, I mean, I would say that I am not, I am by nature a systems thinker, a whole systems thinker, but I am, uh, I'm very creative, I'm very visual, I'm, I'm driven by ideas and information. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, you know, an operations person for me is, is my compliment you know, someone who is not those things, someone, you know, maybe they can be all those things, but, but when they get up at the beginning of the day, what turns them on is having a list of things they're going to take care of. And, and by the end of the day, they're all going to be done, Mm. you know? And one of those things might be, you know, I need to do some kind of financial analysis on this situation, or I need to, you know, an operations person for me brings, more structure uh yeah i can't to, to my world you yeah know, just new structure <laughs> listening to you talk reminds me so much of simon sinek's book start with why and in that book he's talking about uh the difference between how people and why people and many times restaurateurs or entrepreneurs they're very much heavy why people like you said like like you like you're you are very inspired by creative ideas and you're driven by information right and uh, you get inspired and you get ideas and you you want to create but oftentimes that why person isn't a how person and that's what your ops director was for you that how person that person that gets uh um Gary Vanderchuk calls it uh, somebody who lives in the clouds and somebody who lives in the dirt. So you got to find, you got to figure out which person you are and find that person that compliments you. And it sounds like that's what you you did to kind of get from that two to three restaurant uh, status, right? Yep. Yep. For sure. Awesome stuff. I mean, yeah. So what are your it factors, Kim? If you could like list some habits, characteristics, uh, things that really make you what you are and contribute to your success, what would they be? 
Um, I think we can go back to, you know, my story about getting fired from restaurants for really bad reasons. And, and so at, at the core of how I want my restaurants to operate is a real value put on people, how people are treated, mm. you know, and, and I think that directly results in, in my restaurant success because I have actual human beings walking around working, you know, uh, we don't have scripts and people get to take time off and hopefully people get paid well and, you know, all those sort of basic things that you hope for in a workplace, you know, you hope that you're heard when you have an idea or a problem, you know, you hope you can contribute ideas in some, at some times or, you hope that you're able to make your job better, you know, because the last thing I know is how to wait tables and what, what everyone needs to be really successful at that, right? So yeah. I'll tell you that my fourth restaurant has the most kick-ass wait station ever <laughs> because, because I realized, like, yeah, these people need better tools and a nice place to, like, get their work done, you know, mm-hmm. so that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I think unlike a lot of entrepreneurs uh, that I've met over the years, I ask for help. Mm. I think to myself, yeah, I don't really know how to do that. I should go find somebody that does. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I I shouldn't just say yes or no to this uh problem or question or development opportunity, I should talk to three or four people first and then make a decision, you know? So in that way, I think I'm a little different than your typical entrepreneur um, in that I, I really will go ask for help. Mm, that's and, huge. Uh, yeah. Really uh, earlier you were talking about the, you know, your first if after the values of how uh, or valuing how people feel and are treated and uh, giving them mm-hmm. an outlet to express themselves and feel like they're a part of the team. And how has that contributed to the success of your, your restaurant group? Uh, it, infinitely. I, I can't even, I can't even imagine ever having even succeeded at one coffee shop if I hadn't had that attitude. What specifically does that attitude, how does that empower your people? How, how does that drive energy into well, what you're trying to do? It, it, it doesn't just empower everybody that works there. It empowers, uh, you know, me. Mm. Because I'm not in my restaurant every single hour that it's open. Mm-hmm. So if we all get together and we sit in a circle and talk about, you know, what's going well, what's, what could be going better, you know, how could we change to make it easier for this person to do that, et cetera, et cetera, you know, I'm going to learn a lot. People's day-to-day, uh, you know, doing of their jobs is going to get better. Uh, and at the end of the day, I mean, everybody can just have more fun at work, which is really, really important. Mm, absolutely. And uh, I love when you're talking about uh, one of your factors is being like the ability to ask other people and knowing what you don't know, which is so huge, but not having, not being so full of yourself and having such a huge ego that you're, you're not afraid to go to somebody else who does know and get that help. Like, um, give me an example of a time where you were clueless on something and you were able to go uh, put somebody in a place or help you do a certain task. Well, I mentioned earlier about the first time I encountered an insurance adjuster. Mm -hmm. Um, So my second place was a bowling alley and, you know, it was a more complex business. It Mm -hmm. had a full kitchen. It had a bowling alley. It had a theater. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It had a lot of employees, you know, and, uh, it had loan that it had to pay back and, uh, at some point, I was I was like, "Well, we need a we need to do better accounting, mm-hmm. you know." And and not only that, I need to learn how to read a P and L. So, so you know, I hired these consultants to help us, you know, choose an accounting mm-hmm. package, 
And and then I had a guy just like sitting at a table with me teaching me how to read a P&L and, you know, what to look for in that P&L. And I can't say I'm a super huge wizard at reading P&Ls, but I'm, I'm okay, you know, yeah. and uh, I can I can get through a conversation with a controller <laughs> Absolutely. and sort of hold my own, you know, and ask ask questions that I know that need to be asked when I look at other people's teams. Yeah. So. And I'm just going to add another if factor onto what you got going on. You asked for help. But you're also, uh, it sounds like you're, con- you're continually learning. You, you never stop learning. You're always trying to improve yourself personally. Is that safe to say, Kim? Yes, I, I would absolutely say I'm committed to being a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really, cu- I'm really curious and, uh, you know, there's a book, uh, there's a Harvard study that resulted in a book called Strengths Finder, which I highly recommend any anyone do, especially anyone considering opening a business. Um, but uh, my, you know, type in the Strengths Finder is information gatherer. Like, I just like information, and I like a lot of it. That's awesome. <laughs> so... Right. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm lucky. I'm going to put that information or information gatherer under your it factors too. Awesome. So uh, you talked about earlier your uh, your mantra, your quote was fall seven times, get up eight. So take one of those seven times, right? You fell. I mean, I know you didn't fall exactly seven times, but take a time you fell and uh, take us through that failure and what the failure was and how it made you feel and just get real emotionally. <laughs> like I want to feel like I'm right <laughs> there with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have two big public failures. Uh, one of them was I, I joined a group of people and started to help publish uh, a bi-monthly newspaper called Siren. Um, it was like a, a, a tabloid, you know, arts and entertainment and some investigative journalism and, and you know, some reviews and your typical sort of tabloid. Um, our tagline was inciting conversation. We, we decided we wanted identity politics to be dead and we wanted to talk about things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in the year 2000. And, uh, I had never, so I was the publisher. That was my job. Mm-hmm. And, um, I come from a sort of a liberal arts background. I like writing, you know, obviously I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a thinker, you know, so I thought my job as a publisher was to make sure the content of the thing was awesome, you know, and I spent a, I spent a lot of my time, you know, doing nuts and bolts of the business, but most of my time I spent, like, thinking about what our content was going to be and you know, trying to be really creative about that. But what I didn't pay enough attention to and what my job really was was managing salespeople because that's how newspapers stayed alive. You know, they sold ads. And I had never managed a salesperson before. I was not a salesperson. That is a completely different animal in the zoo to me, and I totally failed at it, and I had to stand in front of 30-some people who were employed by that newspaper and announce that everyone was laid off and we were going to shut down. I can't that even imagine. Very painful. It was horrible. I can't, it was take so painful. Take me and, through that. Yeah. Like, take me through that experience of having to, like, do that. Like, what? I mean, how do you even prepare for something like that? You don't. You just uh, don't eat a lot because you feel like you're going to throw up. And, uh, and you do what needs to be done, you know. And, you know, I guess I can talk about my other... And so to me, that was like a not... Not knowing what I didn't know moment, right? Like, how, how was I supposed to know that? I'm not sure. And I didn't ask for help or know where to go for it because I didn't even know I needed help until it was too late. Yeah. Kim, before you, know? you share that second story, just the biggest takeaway... Uh, if the one thing you would have done differently, if you could go back to 2000 and start from scratch, like what would you have done differently uh, to avoid what happened? I would have been, done a little more due diligence on how, how what makes a business like that successful. Mm-hmm. And I would have then known that I should have gotten help in managing that part of the business. Mm, 
one of my favorite quotes is plan your work, work your plan, uh, and really have a plan right. going yeah. into things. So awesome. Yeah. You said you had a second yeah. uh, failure you wanted to share with us? So this, this was an actual restaurant thing, right? Okay. So uh, these, these two gentlemen opened a Cinema Grill. It was a short-lived franchise in, in the country, but they, they opened a Cinema Grill franchise in uh a historic theater in Minneapolis called the Suburban World. Um, the inside was this chariascuro architecture with like clouds, you know, moving on the ceiling. It was amazing acoustically, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they were starting to fail, mm. and I was really in love with the Suburban World. And when I talked to people, uh, about it, they would hold up their hand like making like a stop motion and they would say, oh, I haven't been in there since those two guys took over. Because everyone assumes that when they did that, they had kind of torn out this beautiful interior of a historic theater. But in fact, they hadn't. Um, and so I saw, I saw an opportunity to just get in there and, and do it right and increase the programming because I had been running a theater for quite a while at the Bryant Lake Bowl and, uh, and just essentially give permission to go back in. People wanted to go there. They just didn't because they didn't want to experience the loss they would experience in seeing the inside of it wrecked. Mm. So, uh, you know, I talked to these gentlemen uh, we made an agreement that I was going to buy it from them. But in the meantime, we made a management agreement. Uh, I took over their license. I started operating it. It was hugely successful. Uh, but then uh, a couple other people in town started talking to them about maybe they wanted to buy the suburban world, you know. Mm-hmm. And and they got a little wobbly, and they were like, well, Kim, we're not really sure we're going to be able to sell it to you. We might have to sell it to this other person, blah, blah, blah. And I had failed to get anything in writing in that regard. <laughs> I wrote down uh, agreement in yeah. question mark right next to I was wondering, yeah, I was going to ask, yeah. get it in writing that's it. That's right. And that's so I mean, important. I give people, I give people speeches about partnership mm-hmm. agreements all the time, mm-hmm. but... But this, you know, I should have known better, but I just didn't. I was kind of, uh, I was not very savvy about real estate. I'm at heart a very trusting person. You know, I, I just, I'd rather choose to believe people going through life. Like, I don't often uh, get suspicious of things people are telling me. I don't know. That's just like an Achilles heel of mine. So. You know, I ended up having, you know, some brinksmanship happened, and I said, look, I'm, I'm planning, you know, uh, we did Carl Polad's 80th birthday at the Suburban World, you know. We, we were booking bands six months out and, and big parties and events, and I was like, look, you have to commit to me right now or I am going to have to shut down and walk away. Oh. And in fact, that's what I ended up having to do, shut down and walk away. Well, I think that's the best thing you could have done in that circumstance. Like, you didn't let yourself get any deeper than you already have. You wouldn't have gotten burned anywhere. It was. You know, I ended up losing some money. Not a lot, but a little. And then I just, I also, a big piece of my heart had gone into the place, you know. I just, I loved it so much. I loved watching people's faces when they walked in that room and they saw that it was still intact and, you know, and they had a great meal and we did all kinds of crazy things. Like, uh, we showed the Titanic and served, uh, the Titanic menu and played the sheet music that, uh, we found from the dining room. Mm -hmm. You know, we would have cartoon Saturday mornings and have an aerialist in the room doing crazy stuff for kids. So we did all these really fun things, but yeah. So, you know, due diligence around real estate and leases and all those kinds of things. I'll say I know a heck of a lot more now than I did uh, then. And, and I highly encourage people to, again, that's one of those places where you really should go and seek some advice and talk to 
somebody who is, you know, like a commercial real estate broker, if you're thinking about engaging in the commercial real estate world, yeah. you know, and someone signing a lease or buying something, et cetera. Or even a, a lawyer. Do you work with a, a personal lawyer that you have? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those are the two uh, that come up a lot is uh, surrounding yourself with somebody who's a CPA or su- surrounding yourself, like like you said, or a, a real estate broker or real estate agent, or um, the other one is a lawyer because those are just areas that have so much, uh, they're so deep and just so, you, you have to know so much. You can't know it all on your own and, and you have to get that help because, I mean, yeah, it's an upfront cost. Um, you're going to have to pay out of pocket mm-hmm. to get that help, but think about how much money you're going to save if you don't do it right. You know, it's it's yeah. totally worth it at the end. So awesome. Great examples, great failures, and really awesome takeaways from those failures. Thank you so much, Kim. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. To run a successful restaurant, you need to know when to hire, when to change the menu, and when to prepare for growth. But how do you know what decisions to make and when to make them? You need live plan. An affordable, all-in-one business dashboard that helps you understand your financials and tracks your progress. LivePlan can display your actual financial numbers on a single dashboard, giving you an excellent view of the health of your business. With LivePlan, you'll know exactly what actions you need to take to fuel your growth, stay cash positive, and thrive. To learn more and to get started with your first month free, yes, free, that's a $20 savings exclusive to Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, visit liveplan.com slash unstoppable. That's liveplan.com forward slash unstoppable. What are you waiting for? All right. So, Kim, my first question for you is what advice do you have for funding a restaurant? My first advice for funding a restaurant is don't spend too much money mm. building it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, give me a jingle. I'll save you between fifty dollars and $500,000 because I see so many restaurants spending way too much money getting themselves into existence these days. Oh. Um, I guess my real advice, you know, in terms of actually coming up with the cash that you don't want to spend too much of, um, <laughs> you know, Crowdfunding is uh, has just become legal. Um, crowdfunding sites are being built around the country. Um, I would like to build a local uh, crowdfunding site here. If there's anyone there out there in the ether that would like to partner with me on that, um, you know, shoot me awesome. an email. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, friends and family are are people's first go to. I would say, uh, you know, that can be fraught with danger. Mm -hmm. Um, I would really suggest getting your business plan together and trying to, you know, raise money in some of the traditional ways before you just, you know, try to get your mom and dad to write you a big fat check. Yeah, yeah, it's never worth burning bridges with family to start a business, uh, no matter how big your dream is. And I love that advice of just putting that as like a last resort. But also um, to go back to your first piece of advice that don't spend too much money. I think what you did, uh, I think is perfect because you started small, very small. Like like you said, the equivalent of like a food truck today, right? And uh, look what you created because you were able to start small. I feel like uh, people who get into this industry are, are big dreamers. And they create this massive vision of what they want to create, and they shoot for that right out of the gates. And it's it's so it's such a audacious goal, and there's so many moving parts that like you need to accelerate to that point and scale to that point and start small and keep that vision, but take your time, have patience to get there. Um, and that's exactly what you did. Just looking at your story, would you disagree to that? It, it's true. I have. Yeah. Awesome. I, I started small, and I've I. I kind of bootstrap my way through. Yeah. Uh, we can learn a lot from you in that. Uh, so success is so dependent on people and you get this. And I really thought this was going to be your personal why is that creating a place or places for people to go to work where they can just be happy and you can respect them. Um, and you, I know you're going to have great advice on this topic, but what is your advice for hiring, managing and just creating those relationships and retaining people? Uh, you know, I think, um, as I've grown bigger, uh, 
I put more and more importance on the hiring part Mm -hmm. than I used to. Uh, People can be pretty cavalier about how they hire people, and sometimes it's hard to to sort of hold or, or embody the incredible responsibility is that you have when you are giving someone a job, mm. you know, that's a big deal. Mm. And, you know, when you own a business and you're hiring people, people a lot and, you know, this and that, uh, I think some people can sort of lose track of that. So what I, what I think is really important in hiring is for you to step back and think, you know, again, what is my business? What are my values? How do I want my business to portray itself? And, you know, essentially, what is my brand? And then you, you go, what kinds of questions should I be asking this person so that they ha- share a lot of these values with me right out of the gate? Mm. You know, I'm not going to have to train somebody uh but it's really important to be welcoming to everyone, not just to hipsters or not just to, uh, you know, uh, university students or not just to suburbanites mm-hmm. or, you know, God forbid, not just to white people or black people mm-hmm. or straight people or gay people or whatever, you know, like everyone, if you want everyone to feel welcome in your restaurant, you better be hiring someone for which that is second nature. Because mm-hmm. if you want to train somebody to do that, it's going to take you, you know, there's just going to be a longer road. Mm-hmm. You could train somebody to do it, but if you ask all the right questions up front and you listen to the answers, mm-hmm. uh, then you're going to know that you're hiring the right person for your restaurant. Perfect. I love it. Uh, what are some of the current challenges that you're dealing with or maybe some challenges that are coming up that you're, prepare, you're preparing to deal with? Well, uh, obviously in the news, you know, the, the increasing minimum wage. Um, in Minneapolis here, we just passed a mandatory paid time off for all small businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I already do paid time off, but... You know, it just creates a level of bureaucracy that we're not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of financial uh, worries out there in the restaurant industry, I think. Um, so how are you? I pay, Sorry. I pay, you know, I pay a living wage. I pay mm-hmm. higher hourly wages uh, generally. Um, but in Minnesota, we don't have a tip credit. Okay. So I'm currently paying servers $9 an hour here uh, who, who already make well, well beyond uh, what would be considered a living wage, um, you know, because they're servers in yeah. busy restaurants. So what are you um, going to do differently? Well, no tip credit in Minnesota is a big worry for me, as the city of Minneapolis considers the $15 minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So what are you, what are you going to do are you doing anything differently or changing any of your systems or processes to accommodate that? I am focusing more on the bottom line than I ever have before Mm -hmm. um, because costs are, I mean, my health insurance that I pay for for employees uh, went up 30% in 2015 uh, it went up 30% again in 2016, and I'm being told it's going to go up uh, 28% in 2017, you know. Uh, so a lot of our costs are going up, and I don't see any willingness on the part of the general public to pay a lot more for food than they are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think they should have to. So we are trying to just be leaner and meaner internally and do a better job of, of being a little more profitable. Can you give a, you know, a specific example, just, Kim, of a, what one thing you're doing in your restaurant to get more lean? Uh, tightening systems, mm-hmm. you know, purchasing inventory, mm-hmm. uh, scheduling, Other, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we'll come back to this. Working the basics. Out. Yeah, we're going to come back to this. About, uh, yeah, restaurants are about working the basics, you cool. know? Absolutely. So, um, uh, how do you manage work life balance? 
<laughs> you know, I I think that's sort of a I don't know. I, I don't know what that is. Um, I I do a job that I consider more of a vocation than a. You know, I don't like come to work and go home and forget all about it. If I go on vacation, you know, I know how to check out and 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 have an empty mind, but I also am going to probably visit four or five restaurants every single day. Yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm in a city that has restaurants, I might be somewhere that doesn't have any. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I don't I think I have a pretty balanced life. I I work, I I do stuff outside of work. I have a partner. And uh, if my life is unbalanced at all right now, it's because I just adopted a three and a half year old and her two year old brother. Oh wow! That's so awesome. so that has Thank put us a little off, you know, in our day to day. But um, otherwise, I feel pretty balanced. My grandmother said, uh, you know, a vacation isn't a lack of activity; it's a change of activity. So, <laughs> yeah. and I think at the core of it, like you're kind of saying, I think you're kind of uh, making this general. Uh, some I'm kind of assuming, but you got to love what you do. And if you love what you do and you make your life about what you love to do, then life becomes work. And uh, it's, it's way easier just to, you don't have to separate yourself from what you do because it's, does that make sense? Like, yeah, 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 totally. Awesome. Um, and what's one book you already recommended uh strength finders that uh, Harvard are uh, that that book that came out from that 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 Harvard review or that Harvard Harvard study, but are there any other books that you'd recommend or like must reads or that really helped you with uh, developing yourself and gathering that knowledge to be successful? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, as I said before, I'm kind of an information gatherer, mm-hmm. and of course, I I've gone through periods where I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I need to read a bunch of books. Mm-hmm. So, um, one book I would recommend for people who are you know, uh, wanting to become entrepreneurs or who have just started a business and feel kind of drifting is a book called The E-Myth by mm-hmm. Michael Gerber. It's been around for a long time. You know, it's sort of an oldie but a goodie. Absolutely. Uh, it's a very valuable book for somebody to read to get a good perspective on, you know, the things they need to prioritize and the things they need to pay attention to. What was the most, then, what was the most impactful uh, lesson from that book? Like one line, one just like, whoa, game changer from that book. You know, I think, I think part of it is just the acknowledgement that, oh, you're, you started running a business. You are the plumber. You're the electrician. Mm-hmm. You're the accountant. You are the manager. Mm-hmm. You know, you are all these things. And if you're not doing a good job at being the accountant, you better hire one, mm-hmm. that, you know, or, or find somebody to teach you how to do it because it's part of running your business and, and you can't just sort of ignore it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's one book. And then another book, I mean, there's so many great books, but um, the other book I would recommend to people, you know, who have been running their business for a while or might be, feeling overwhelmed by the process of learning how to be a manager and a leader uh, or to, you know, get a handle on different parts of their job that are, you know, kind of revealed in the e-myth would be a book called Servant Leadership by Robert Greenleaf. Uh, I think that's a really great book to, to have you think about how it is you, you sort of manage your business and, and how to get the most traction and help from all the people who uh, work with you and work for you. Awesome. I have not read that book yet, but I've heard great things about it. And I love the idea of servant leadership. So I'll definitely have to check it out. And I did just uh, check uh, with Audible. That is on Audible as well. So Emith and Servant Leadership are both on Audible. I've partnered with Audible. If you guys haven't discovered the power in audiobooks yet, um, I'm telling you, it's changed my life. Um, it makes collecting like like uh like we've said that just being those that that information gatherer it makes gathering information so easy so head over to audible trial i couldn't agree more yeah slash unstoppable i couldn't agree more it, do you lo- throw do you- it in the car and take a yeah, exactly turn your car into an academy it's like the best thing you can do uh thank <laughs> yeah. you for those recommendations and now let's talk about technology um and how you've evolved and how you've uh implemented technology and maybe some of the things you're 
like about to implement in your restaurant to be more efficient. Uh, and this is what I said earlier. I said I was going to put this off or save it to later when you were talking about how you're really watching your bottom line and you're uh, changing your systems and improving your inventory systems and your labor systems. Have you used any new tools to help you manage those parts of your business? Uh, yeah, last year we we started using ScheduleFly. Um, ScheduleFly has been really, um, you know, helpful. Awesome. I think employees really like it. You know, it, it's in your phone. It's it's easy to see. You can send messages out to people through it, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But uh, recently we're moving away from ScheduleFly and, and to a little bit more robust system, uh, Hot Schedules that uh, talks to our POS. So not only can we look at the sort of labors and the schedule, but you can go into hot schedules and see sort of what's happening in the, in the dining room right now. Mm-hmm. You know, what are, what, what are the sales, what are the cover averages, you know, uh, who's still on the clock, who's not. Yeah, and they're offering exactly. so much more now than just labor management hot schedules. They, off, they also offer onboarding and they help you in that regard. And also with training too, with like creating a training platforms and systematizing your training procedures. So there's a lot going yeah. on with hot schedules and have you made the change yet or have you committed to them? Um, a couple of stores have like, we're right in the middle of it. So yeah. I'm sure it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, uh, I, I don't, I'm not planning on using an onboarding or a training function. Uh, you know, but I might because uh, automating, I'm still, uh, the next step is to look for a new accounting software. <laughs> God, please don't call me and suggest <laughs> one. But, um, you know, <laughs> we are shopping around for, uh, we're still using QuickBooks. It's time for me to upgrade to something, you know, more restaurant specific. Well, let me. It seems like QuickBooks Enterprise isn't quite <laughs> enough for us, so. Uh, my controller hopefully has the appetite for uh, seeking out and choosing a new accounting package that, of course, then talks to Aloha, talks to hot mm-hmm. schedules, and and also maybe washes my car once a week. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm not going to push anything on you, but I will say, Kim, that uh, in the past three days, three of my past guests have recommended Compete, uh, which is uh, something... Oh, that- I know. Compete is a... Compete is a very robust system, but uh, something interesting about Compete, Eric, that's that's different for me is that I have, uh, well, I'll just say this. I have a friend who runs many restaurants, and and they use pretty much all the same products, and they buy all those products from Cisco, Uh. you know, or U.S. Foods or whoever. It kind of doesn't matter. But um, I do buy products from a broadliner, but I also probably have between 50 and 100 small vendors, farmers, Mm -hmm. you know, ranchers, growers, and Compete can't really roll with my world. I hear you. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I don't, yeah. So you're knowledgeable enough, and what is the difference there? I mean, I have hundreds of invoices to manage, and the prices are always changing and needing to be updated. Mm-hmm. And with Compete, you kind of, I mean, it's, yeah, you need to be entering so much information that in the end it's not really, it's not really obvious whether or not you've, lessened your workload and that the function of technology should be to make your work easier and more efficient mm. not just more data entry absolutely if i hear of anything i will get in touch through people and uh, try to make some recommendations but uh cool maybe, yeah <laughs> i mean i know there's stuff out there yeah for sure um i'll keep my ear to the ground for you so uh with all the knowledge you have kim with everything you've accomplished up to date uh if you go back in time to say 1983, you're moving to your city uh, and you give yourself one piece of business advice, maybe just before you're opening weird cafe, give yourself one piece of business advice. What would it be? I think it would be have more confidence that you can learn the things that you don't know enough about. Mm. Um, 
Awesome. Love it. Uh, if there was one question I could have asked you, Kim, that would have added more value to this interview, what would it have been? Hmm. I think it's really interesting to have people uh, talk about whether or not they've had mentors. Mm. So did you have a mentor? Yeah, I had some mentors and, uh, you know, personal inspirations. Uh, there, there were a group of uh, hospitality women uh, that I met when I just had Cafe Weird and I went and served coffee at an Oxfam benefit. And I was like a shivering little bunny, like with, you know, my eyes wide open. I didn't know what I was doing. I was so stressed out. I'm seeing the little and, sparkle in your eye right now, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they just sort of took me under their wing and I could call them and ask them questions. And, you know, to them, they were kind of silly questions like, well, here's how you do that. But to me, it was like, what am I going to do? Yeah. You know? And, you know, so, uh, yeah. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is that the successful people in this industry, one of the reasons why they're so successful is because they love to help people, um, whether it's their guests or whether it's their employees or whether it's somebody who shares the same passions. And if you're passionate, if you're a good person and you just ask for help, you'd be amazed at how many people are willing to give you that help. So don't be shy. Find a mentor. Surround yourself with those incredible people like Kim did. And you'll be so grateful you did. Um, I think You know, Eric, I couldn't agree more. In the last year, I have met some famous, famous, very successful chefs. Uh, you know, uh, Lydia Bastianich, mm. Dominique Crenn, Elizabeth Faulkner, Gabrielle Hamilton, uh, and to a person, they are, they are warm. They want to help people. They're open. You know, I think, I think there's a quality. I'm not quite sure it's helpfulness. I've actually been thinking about this a lot. I think that this quality is in almost everyone who's really successful. Absolutely. That, that they're, you know, they have an open mind or an open heart. And, and I think helpfulness is one characteristic of it. And I don't have my words organized around it, but there is a particular quality. Just good, uh, goodness. You know. <laughs> just goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I, that's just it. Like when I first started this podcast, Kim, like I was asking questions about, um, like the like the the weirdest questions that really weren't uh, more about the restaurant. The questions were about the restaurant, not the person. And I've learned just through paying attention and listening that um, the success in this industry first comes with not creating a good restaurant, but becoming a good person. And when you become a good person and you really care about the other people around you and you make it about others and about people, that's when success starts to come to you. And I think you're just another, totally. you're another shining example totally. of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of what I'm saying about hiring, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, don't forget if you're running a busy diner, don't forget to determine whether or not somebody can carry three plates at a time, mm -hmm. you know, if they know how or they don't know how. Mm -hmm. That's important. But <laughs> can they remain a smiley good person, you know, when they drop one of those plates? Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. Kim, you've been incredible. Uh, we're going to wrap up. We wrap up every episode by having you call somebody out. So who's one indie restaurant professional, somebody that you just admire in this industry and think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you've been for us today? Well, there's, been, there's so many, so many. Uh, let's see. Uh, locally here, we have the founders of our food truck community, Lisa Carlson and Terry Summer. Oh, I've had them so, on the show. Oh, have you? Awesome. Yes, yeah, that's they great. were awesome. Uh, Ann Kim. Uh, she runs a Pizzeria Lola, Hello Pizza, and she's about to open another place. What was the name? Kim? Ann oh, Kim. Ann Kim. Got it. That's her name, yeah. And then another person, Molly Broder, she runs an amazing, successful you know, pasta bar, and then with a deli across the street. And then she and her son, Charlie, just opened a wine bar called Terzo that has like a bazillion Italian wines by the glass. Awesome. And 
it's it's great food, really great place. All right, and Kim, look out! I'm coming after you, Molly Broder. Look out! I'm going to get you on the show, too. I can't wait to capture your stories and advice. Uh, Kim, let the folks at home know how we can connect if uh, we want to pick up the conversation on social media or maybe we want to come work for you. Maybe we just love what you're putting out there and we want to come find a mentor and maybe you're that mentor. How can we come on? Come on over. I want to hire a CEO and replace (laughs) myself. (laughs) Um, uh, Let's see. Well, I'm in the I do have a Twitter account with my name, KD Kim Bartman you know, Twitter. Uh, you can always email me, kd at barbette.com. Uh, I'm always happy, happy to, to lend a word of advice or send somebody in the right direction. And then uh, I'm involved in women chefs and restaurateurs. Uh, for you women out there who are chefs or restaurateurs or line cooks or, uh, you know, sommeliers or importers, anyone in the hospitality business really, uh, join our organization. Awesome. I'll have, I'll have all those links in the show notes. This is episode 245. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 245 or just search uh, Restaurant Unstoppable Kim uh, Bartman. You'll find all the links right there in the show notes. Uh, Kim, Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to, to be a guest mentor, to shine the light on a path of success. Uh, there's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks a lot, Eric. Have a great day. <laughs> Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So a couple of things before I let you go. I'm now offering free one-on-one 15-minute chats. If you want to get inspired, if you need to get just a little motivation, or if you have some questions about some of the things we talked about on the show, you can now chat with me for free 15 minutes. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable to find the links. Don't forget that we have a complete list of all the books and resources our past guests have recommended. These are the books they read, the resources and tools they're using in their restaurant, the tools that are helping them be successful a whole list archived right there at restaurantunstoppable.com don't forget to use my links if you really want to give back to the show if you want to show your appreciation for all these episodes i'm putting out the best way to support the show is to simply use my links when you discover something new that can help you in your restaurant thank you in advance also keep those five star reviews on itunes and stitcher radio coming and i can't finish without reminding you to keep those emails coming i love your emails they fire me up they keep me going tell me who you want to hear from tell me what you love about the show tell me anything i'm here for you just shoot me an email eric at restaurantunstoppable.com all right that's all we have for today i hope you're enjoying this journey as much as i am thanks again for joining me until next time peace out